0: Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a podcast from therapists for clients about the healing journey. We hope this will be a resource of encouragement, comfort, insight, and understanding for you along this courageous process.
1: Welcome to Beyond Trauma podcast, a guide for your healing journey. Today, we are here to do our second episode. Uh, We're going to be talking about Um, I think I need therapy and what it's like to go to therapy. And so we're here with uh, three of our our hosts. Uh, I'm Bridger, and if you guys want to introduce yourselves.
2: Yeah, I'm Melissa.
3: And I'm Jen.
1: Yeah, so we are going to start our conversation today just talking about uh, what it might be like um, to go through life without a therapist at first and to experience um, some of the Natural stress that we might have built up over the course of our life, or maybe something uh, has just hit us now that's new to us that seems a little overwhelming. And so, we're going to talk about living a dysregulated life.
2: So, when I think of this, I, I think of that you know, the first question that we ask clients when they come in, which is why therapy now, right? Like, what's going on in your life that made you decide that this was the time, this was the moment where you were going to take this huge step and invest in yourself in this way. And usually when we ask that question, um, I don't know about you guys, but what I hear are a lot of stories of dysregulation. And um, just because that word might be a little bit new for some people, when we say dysregulation, what we mean is I don't feel quite right, right? There's something going on in me that tells me I'm either feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed, my yeah. my stress levels are, you know, not what they need to be. Basically, I'm not handling my life well. There's yeah. something going on that's uncomfortable for me. And so when we say dysregulation, that's just kind of an umbrella term for all the different ways um, that feeling like we're not managing well, can present. Yeah,
1: and if you've heard of, you know, just a WebMD experience of what are your symptoms, mm-hmm. um, that can kind of be a uh, indication of those symptoms are telling you, they're kind of evidence of that dysregulation. They, they're what tells you, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in a dysregulated place.
3: I think oftentimes, most scenarios, Clients aren't coming to me when they're at their best point in life. You know, they're not saying like, oh, things are going great. I need to get into counseling. Yeah, I need to go to therapy. It's that that thing that comes up that you say, oh my gosh, I really need some support or I need to talk this through with somebody. Um, I'm not doing well right now. That's what dysregulation feels like. And so when you go in to see a counselor for the first time and you're telling them what's going on, those are all the indicators most often that we're in a dysregulated state. And everybody experiences dysregulation. Very natural at, right, part of your life. Yeah. Different parts of your life or even different points throughout a day. You know, yeah. I may be having a great day and, and I am late to work and I feel dysregulated in that moment on a, you know, a lower degree. Or maybe I um, get in a conflict with my husband that evening and that might be dysregulation on a more higher degree. Yeah.
1: or you see you know a car accident on your way to work or something like that yeah yeah and what we're talking about here if you remember uh, back to or go back to listen to our first episode we kind of gave our uh, understanding of how trauma the word trauma came into the field of therapy and then what we understand of it now Mm -hmm. Um, and I would like to uh, just give reference to a definition uh, from a couple clinicians that uh, published a paper and, and they gave their own definition of trauma as when something comes into our experience that is too much too soon, too much for too long, or too little for too long. And so if you remember back to that first episode, I mean, that kind of just tells us that we've all experienced something along that, that spectrum. We've all been overwhelmed because of something that was too much too soon, too much too long, or too little for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you map that onto our understanding of dysregulation, of what might send us into a place of um, dysregulation, it, it, it is those things.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. It's
1: that too much for too long, too much too soon uh or too little for too long. So in your mind, as you're thinking of experiences throughout your day or your life where you might have felt overwhelmed, that's what we're talking about. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, I think an important question here is how do we, as we're listening to that definition of trauma and determining is therapy something that I need, that it could be helpful. I think last episode, we said everyone could benefit from it, but we are really making that decision of, am I dysregulated enough that I need this? What does dysregulation look like when we can recognize, okay, I am experiencing the effects, the negative effects of my trauma. And I think there's so many, you know, symptoms that we could talk about here, but some really common ones might be helpful to lay out there. Do you guys have any examples of states that you might see clients in that are saying, okay, this is a point where we could really step in and help?
2: Yes. I think some of the, like the common ones that I hear are people are just anxious all the time and they don't understand why. And to me, that says, I, you know, they have been in a state of dysregulation, and they're struggling to figure out how to get back to a regulated state. Or maybe they don't experience regulation hardly at all. They don't experience a sense of peace and calm and safety um, in their life, maybe anywhere. And at some point, it starts to become obvious that, oh, this is a problem, yeah. right? Like, I'm, I'm not meant to exist this way. And depending on how severe it is, sometimes people are referencing, um, you know, a different point in their life where they felt different and felt better, and now they can feel that things have really shifted for them, and they need help getting back to that that space. Or it could be that something has happened in their life that lets them know, oh, not everybody lives this way. Yeah. Not everybody feels anxious all day long. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has to, you know take three things to fall asleep at night and still struggle with insomnia sometimes, right? Like that is a sign of a dysregulated nervous system. Yeah, um, And so those are the things that I hear most often. It's either I'm anxious too much or I'm struggling with depression. The other one that I hear a lot is I don't enjoy things the way that I think I should be enjoying things or I can't do the things that I want to do. I feel that I want to do them, but why can't I get myself to do them?
1: Yeah. So those
2: are the, at least for me, the most common symptoms yeah. that people come in
1: with. I think the only thing I would add to that, because I feel that that is very true to my experience of doing therapy as well, um, would also be, I'm not satisfied in my relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a really honest moment of reflection with yourself, of, you know, whether you're reflecting on a pattern of in your life that you've seen, or that maybe has been kindly pointed out to you by some of your friends, um, but either way of I'm just not satisfied in my relationships or I always feel taken advantage of, um, or my relationships
2: always end poorly.
1: Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even right now, if you're <laughs> reflecting on it, hearing us talk, of like, Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, that's a really common experience. And we, uh, have a, a term that we use, uh, when we talk about code dysregulation. So this is an environment that you're in with someone else that be, just, by the nature of your relationship, it sends you both into a state of dysregulation. Right. Um, that would be the only thing that I would add to Melissa's mm-hmm. list. I think that uh, across those experiences, I mean, it's very understandable that you're going to be dysregulated on the other side of those.
3: Yeah, I would add in there as well, Melissa, you kind of mentioned not being able to do something that you think you should or want to the opposite of doing something that you feel like you shouldn't be doing or don't want to. So you find yourself getting lost in hours and hours of social media or Netflix or spending too much money. Yeah, having a few too many drinks or picking up a substance, engaging in a behavior pattern something that kind of goes against maybe your values or your comfort level or your intentions for your life and um, you're picking up something new to try to manage that dysregulation
1: yeah so if we're thinking about um, our clients who are coming in with those um, those experiences and uh, they're they're making the step towards help what I want us to talk a little bit about what's there to meet them in the therapy room? What, what do clinicians get trained in, you know, so that they can meet people in those experiences of dysregulation?
3: Yeah. I think there are, it's kind of a broad range and we're going to talk about a structure that maybe helps to organize it, but there's a lot of different things that a therapist can offer to meet you with what you come in with and um, a lot of different approaches and techniques and interventions but we want to try to sort that out and help you guys to see it for um, in a more organized way to make sense of what is out there for me. What options yeah, are there?
1: I think even the way you're the way you're talking, Jen, um, reminds me that some people don't even know that there are different kinds of therapy. Mm, right? that's a good point. That there are different trainings that therapists go to to specialize in different things. You know, some people and might they're just very different. Very, oh, yes. yes, and it's important to know them because. Somebody that is experiencing a dysregulated state and making the journey towards, uh, starting the journey towards therapy, they might just think all I have to do is do a simple Google search, mm-hmm. call a number,
3: and find I know out if they, they really accept down. my insurance. And if not, what yeah. do they cost? And then that's the first step. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, fitness, uh, so to speak, a fit between you two might not even be on their radar to consider.
2: Mm -hmm. and so
1: that's why we're doing this uh, in our first season we're wanting to break it down really incrementally so that we can see you know this is a very important part of understanding what kind of uh, what kind of experiences you're walking into the therapy room with and then what's there to meet you on the other side so uh, one idea that we had was to kind of um, plot out a spectrum and Jen you were kind of giving reference to it Mm -hmm. so I don't know if you wanted to, to kind of help us get an understanding of that in this initial part of the conversation?
3: Yeah, so we look at different therapeutic approaches from a therapist lens. We're kind of trying to determine, are we looking at changing a specific behavior or focusing in on what are the symptoms, how are they presenting, and how do we alleviate those, change those, reduce those, kind of on that level? And then there's a whole spectrum on into how do we get down to the more core source of the pain, the deeper level experience that originally created the symptom. And so there's another therapeutic approach or several in between there of how do we get down to those deeper roots and work on it and that level and they both, um, all of those show up very differently in session. You experience them different, and then the outcome is very different. The long-term effects are different right. as well. They
1: have pros and cons that go yeah. with them. They, they all do. Um, and I think if you're listening now and you've had experiences with therapy or you're thinking about going to therapy, um, kind of looking at the pros and cons of each and what might be best for your current experience and the needs that you have as well as the resources that you have, you know, some of those therapies take quite a lot of time, mm-hmm. some of them take quite a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so just an awareness
2: of that, I think, it is important. I don't know if you yeah. well, on, I getting think starting starting with the reference point of what people are probably familiar with um, is helpful. So if we do kind of look at that spectrum of, you know, we have therapies that focus on that behavioral management and behavioral change. Things that people may have heard about that would be in that category would be cognitive behavioral therapy, right? CBT. Um, And a lot of people have heard that phrase and uh, might have an idea of what that is or even experienced it in therapy. Um, So that is in that category. We see that a lot with um, drug and alcohol. Treatment facilities that—that that is their main focus. Um,
1: crisis management. Any yeah. kind,
2: yeah, any kind of short-term crisis management situation is likely going to use that, and, and that is one of the, the pros of those yeah. is that you can learn some skills really quickly, some mental cognitive skills mm-hmm. that will help you manage the dysregulation that you're experiencing. That's right, yeah. And it can work uh, very quickly and very effectively. Um, One of the downsides of it is that it doesn't always get great generalization to other areas of your life, and it does not mean that you don't experience dysregulation. It means that when that dysregulation happens, you have tools to try to manage it so that you don't engage in the behavior that was causing you issues. Um, so, if your goal is to get a, a solution really quickly to a very specific behavioral problem, this can be a reasonable choice. And that's why it's used in that context quite a bit.
1: Yeah. And it can be done in a really kind of clean package. Mm-hmm. You know, you get eight sessions. And you're gonna you're gonna note some really remarkable behavioral change. You know that yeah. kind of your day to day experience will change, and you'll get a lot of tools really quick of you know ways to label emotions, for instance, and to understand what thoughts are associated with those, and then to be able to challenge them. So it is very functional in that way. Um, I, I think one thing that um, you know as we start to move along the spectrum a little bit, one of the critiques of this. Uh, approach to therapy is that um, it, it's likely that the symptoms will in some sense either change or come back
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, after the therapy is done so you might have six months of you know things are good uh, mm-hmm. I feel I feel the same kind of strength and em- empowerment that I did in my therapy but then it starts to wear off. A little bit. At least that's been my experience of people that have gone through that treatment and myself as well having gone through some of that. Um, It just seems to come back. I don't know if you guys would agree with that.
3: I think if we lay an example out there, maybe um, someone is experiencing irritation and anger outbursts at work and they're at risk of losing their job. Um, They've gotten written up a couple of times and they just are so irritable and edgy and they snap at work so they come into therapy they're needing to work through this, talk about it. We can teach some really helpful strategies and techniques of how to recognize that feeling coming up and catch it early, how to sure. calm themselves in that moment, shift the way they're viewing the situation, change their perception over it and then have a different response at work. Here's some, you know, other responses that you could have would be more helpful. Yeah walk through that process. They may see change there at work and that's, that's what they're coming in for. And so it's very helpful to say, okay, now I'm no longer having outbursts at work and I'm not getting written up anymore. I'm finding more success in my job. And that would be kind of what that uh, behavioral change therapy would look like there.
1: And I think that's a great example because you'll note that even in your uh, kind of overview of the treatment process for that, never once was the question asked why are you angry or what is that about you know so that is a question that will not show up (laughs) in in any of these cognitive behavioral uh strict cbt protocols because they're not concerned with that frankly it's it doesn't really matter the fact is you're experiencing something that is dysregulating to you and we're going to change it Mm
3: -hmm. so it seems pretty clean cut really
1: really uh cut dry in that way.
3: Yeah. I find a lot of um, people who are more check the box type or um, type A personality a little more seek that approach out more. They want to have, okay, this is what we're doing in therapy. Here's my checklist. This is my homework assignment. I'm going to go home and I'm going to complete this. And when I come back, I'll tell you how that went and you'll give me the next thing. And so it's very orderly. And you can see what you've completed, you can see you know, progress happening, mark those changes, record them. That feels very familiar and comfortable. And sometimes if, if you're a person like that, listening to this, that might be very desirable to you to think, okay, that's what I need. Um, and that's something that's more, as we get into the other um, levels or different types of therapy, those might feel less comfortable but just encouraging everyone to keep an open mind to knowing sometimes what's most comfortable for us isn't always going to get to the bottom and and see the results that we're wanting to see so um our personalities may lend more to one type excuse me than another but just kind of keeping an open mind to that
1: yeah yeah and so as we start to kind of take a step you know down that spectrum to the other side um one of the differences that will be felt in in Therapy, you know, once you've made that commitment to a therapist and you're starting to feel that um, that change, one thing that is going to come up is um, perhaps not so interested just on the behavior, so not just on what you know, what are your thoughts, what are your feelings, and then how do you work with those, and let's change how you work with them. But you'll start to feel the therapist start to ask questions about what's really going on.
2: Where did this come from? Yeah. Have you experienced it
1: before? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, And so some of that learning is going to start to become a a topic in in therapy. And the idea there being if we can get back to some of those foundational learnings, we can change it. And therefore, when you experience it out in the world after therapy, it's not going to be a problem to you. Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to just experience it as anybody else would.
2: Well, and and those kinds of therapies, they start to kind of move towards what we call trauma-informed therapies. Mm -hmm. So you guys may run into that term, and that's something that we want to talk about just so you understand what that means if you hear people talking about it. Um, Trauma-informed therapy can apply to all different kinds of therapeutic models, right? And what it's indicating is that this therapy is factoring in that the reason why we're doing what we're doing today, the reason why we feel how we feel today, is because we experienced something in the past that taught us both biologically and cognitively to respond the way we do. In other words, all behaviors and all feelings and emotions make sense when seen through the lens of our experiences taught us to feel that way. Mm -hmm. And so therapists, and regardless of what method they're using and what kind of therapy they're using, if they are factoring that in, they are attempting to be trauma-informed. Um, and so if you run into that, that, that's just kind of a helpful way for you to understand what they're saying to you and what that means. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. You know, I when you were mentioning those questions that might come up in therapy that take us just from focused on the behavior and um, in, in looking at that spectrum a little bit deeper is, when else When else in your life do you experience this? And we try to look from a little bit broader point. And then we start looking, what's another time in the past where this has come up? And then we start looking at where did it, where's the very earliest time? Like, where did this start? When did your system get kind of programmed to respond in this way? When did it learn that to be the best type of response? And then you're still holding on to that. Yeah. And so each of those approaches just takes it one one level deeper um, and a little bit further back.
1: Yeah. And so if you go, you know, sort of towards the other end of the spectrum from the cognitive side, you're going to get into experiential therapies. Mm -hmm. These therapies are, you know, whereas the cognitive models were concerned about the behavior, the, the cognition, the emotion, whatever it might be, the experiential side is really focused on what's going on in the room. Between uh, or outside, because there are those experiential therapies too, but of what is going on between us right now Mm -hmm. and what significance does that have for your experience of dysregulation, those symptoms that brought you to therapy? What are we going to – how is this going to change your experience of those? So that is a very different type of therapy and exists not in those eight-session kind of treatment manuals um, it's it's much more uh, relational in that
0: way.
2: I think an analogy that, um, I don't remember where I heard it, but I found it helpful is if you go to a doctor and you have some kind of injury, there are lots of different ways that they may instruct you and help you heal from that. And one option is that they give you a worksheet that says, here, do these exercises, exercises at home by yourself, right? Um, And it will strengthen this area of your body, and eventually your symptoms will go away. So that approach, here, take this worksheet and go do it on your own, that's more of that CBT kind of experience. We're going to tell you what you should be doing, and go and do this, and it will help shift whatever's going on in your body. Worksheets
1: are a really common component of therapy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: and the experiential therapies, it's much more like going to physical therapy where there's someone sitting there right with you and helping you do the exercises and yeah. observing to you what's going on in your body in that very moment, yes. right? So when you lay down on the floor and you're trying to do the bridge and you're shaky on this side and you're wobbly on that side, they're able to hold you steady and say, what, what does this feel like in your body right now, right? And, and help you really shape that experience so that you learn, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And and make tiny little adjustments and really be in that moment with you. Mm -hmm. That is much more what you're going to experience when you have experiential therapies. Your therapist is going to be uh, lovingly up in your business about what are you (laughs) feeling right now, right? In fact, that's one really common question that we we literally ask Mm over and over. It's like, right right now. My body's
1: really liking this. (laughs) I can feel it in my gut. (laughs) You
2: guys are going to say, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is how a lot of us practice yeah. we do the others as well because they are effective yes place, and but important
1: yeah yeah but my body is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and,
2: and truthfully as a therapist this is a lot of fun oh, right gosh. like it's you know being being in those moments with people so and getting beautiful. to have that kind of connection and experience and do that deep down work and that you know subtle work um is really great for us um and also on the receiving end i think all of us have been on the receiving end of the whole spectrum of therapies mm-hmm. because we really mean it when we say everybody needs it, and maybe therapists especially. <laughs> yes. And so when, when you're in that experiential moment with your therapist, you're you're thinking about the past and reflecting on it and you're thinking about how it's going to be applied in the future, but there's a lot of focus on what's happening in this very second, right here, right now. What's your body feeling? What emotions are coming up? How's your nervous system doing? How are you experiencing me as a therapist? That relationship is so important. Um, so it, it, Feels very different yeah. than that other end of the spectrum where somebody's gonna walk you through some exercises and worksheets yeah. and then send, send you out to do that on your own. And then you come back and reflect together. Yeah. But mostly in those uh, cognitive methods, you're having a very like brain to brain conversation about how it. it's going in other spaces. Mm-hmm. And experiential is very body to body on what's happening in the moment
1: yeah and that's how we kind of understand them so if you you know remember to the beginning of the podcast we talked about those dysregulating experiences well the experiential types of therapy are bridging into what we are calling co-regulation so they are focused on essentially being present in the experience of those dysregulating moments and just kind of and weaving with them together. So it's almost like the, the therapist and the client are connected and it's the, the ability that uh, is made possible because of that relationship. Um, co-regulation then becomes possible and then the work is really just internalizing that co-regulation experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the purpose really of experiential therapies. It's to say, I see you in your dysregulation and I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. Not figure that out outside of therapy and come in here and we'll talk about it but it's i'm here with you in those experiences and it's more than okay to be dysregulated but we're going to show you that it doesn't have to always be that way and we do that through relationship yeah so that's kind of our two baskets you know Mm -hmm. so you have the behavioral modification or change therapies and then you've got the co-regulation it's not to say they can't bridge over into each other but they are um They do come from different places.
3: Yeah, there's even the hybrid, the kind of the middle, the approaches that pull from both of those, Um, and maybe it's more of the behavioral side initially, trying to give some tools and techniques and strategies, and then we move a little bit deeper, um, or they they blend those two types of approaches. I think some of you may have heard of TFCBT, so that's trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, that's really looking at trauma-informed, that it's trauma that has created these symptoms. But we also, from that story of trauma, want to learn how to manage the symptoms and kind of um, change the way they're affecting us. Yeah. So that's that, a, a hybrid approach. Other types of hybrid approaches you guys can think of?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, so um, a thing that's really common in, in treatment facilities is that you have like a group processing experience, And there is some immediacy to that where where you're reflecting on how does it feel to be in this group setting? How does it feel to interact with people in this way? And so that's bringing in some of these concepts to help people reflect on their, their body, their present moment experiences, how they're relating to each other. Um, but also there's often a teaching component to it. That's going to be engaging their, their cognitive mm-hmm. self a lot more. And so that's a, that's a hybrid experience for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, And I think just broadly EMDR is a, a great example of a hybrid um, as it, you know, in some of those early uh, protocols. It, it's about cognition. That's what right. we're associating, and then we go to the body. Yeah. So it's experience of that cognition, the emotion, and the body together. Right? Mm-hmm. We integrate
2: all of it. For those of you that aren't familiar with EMDR, it's a really complicated name: eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And I promise we will talk later, very in depth, At length. <laughs> yeah, about what EMDR is and why why we um, use it as much as we do. But it is a um, a really kind of systematized therapy that does a good job of combining all of these different elements and kind of walking someone through that whole range of experience and bringing it all together.
3: You know, when we were creating our plan for this episode, uh, Melissa used the terms top down versus bottom up. And I think that would be helpful to speak to because I imagine we'll be using that again. uh, Those are terms that we use amongst ourselves often. So would you feel comfortable explaining kind of what you mean by that?
2: So, you know, as therapists, we're always kind of conceptualizing what's going on based on what's happening in the nervous system, because that's where our emotions live. That's where our anxiety lives. That's where our depression lives. So all of the things that we really care about as therapists are going to show up in the nervous system. So if you imagine your nervous system, right, your brain, your spinal column, your spinal cord, um, and then all the way out into the nerves and the whole of your body, Um, top-down means that we're focused first on the front part of your brain that's right behind your forehead, and there lives your prefrontal cortex, Mm -hmm. and that's where you do all of your logical thinking, your decision-making, um, when you're having an intellectual conversation with somebody, you're right there, right behind your forehead. And that was the last part of our brain to evolve, okay? It's incredibly um, helpful for executive functioning, and it's super important to us as humans, yes. but it's also the slowest part of us, right? It takes us the most time to have those kinds of uh, cognitive experiences. So what that means from a therapy perspective is that there's all this stuff happening in the lower parts of our nervous system that are lightning speed, okay? And we, we sometimes struggle to have awareness of what those yeah. things are and how important they are. And our prefrontal co- cortex is always trying to make sense of all of that stimuli going on. And sometimes it does a really great job. Other times <laughs> it gets it really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> And that's where we get things like irrational beliefs, mm-hmm. right? And so a, a top-down approach is trying to retrain our prefrontal cortex to tell us different stories about our experiences in the hopes that it will change our reactions to those things. Yeah. And it does that to some degree, Um it is effective in some ways for that. And at least we feel empowered to know what to do when we're not okay. Yeah. We have a tool that we can use. So that's a top-down approach is we're working with that logic center right behind our forehead in hopes of then influencing the rest of our nervous system. Yeah. The bottom-up approach. Richard, do you want to talk about the bottom-up well, Yeah, and yeah. I would
1: like to give a uh, uh, an analogy to kind of help this communication uh, grid that we just laid out. Because when Melissa said that there are thousands of uh you know, uh, experiences going on below our consciousness. I mean, that is a vast understatement. <laughs> there are, in any moment, there's millions of interactions going on. That the way your brain is wired, it actually keeps it in the background. It says it kind of filters it out. If you if you can make sense of it that way, it just says like this is stuff that you don't really need to pay attention to.
2: Don't worry, I'll keep you breathing. I got it. Yeah, yeah.
1: you can <laughs> breathe. I'll
2: tell you when you're hungry. You Blink. <laughs>
1: we should use the restrooms soon. Like that kind of, that kind of processing um, is going on. And it's almost as if there's a representative from the top of your brain and a representative from the bottom of your brain. If you can just picture that analogy and there's an agreement between them that the top is going to take care of this and the bottom is going to take care of this. Well, what the top part doesn't really understand is that the bottom part has a way bigger processing, uh, like task list, just Way bigger, And the top part just kind of says, I'll take care of my stuff, you take care of your stuff, I'm going to keep us walking forward and thinking about the things and doing what we want to do, and you just keep the lights on, okay? Uh, But the bottom up just kind of says, yeah, I've got a lot going on though, and sometimes uh, I need some help. (laughs) So the bottom up approaches then, to continue that analogy, the bottom up kind of says, let's lean into that representative. Let's actually step in and have a conversation with the body of – You're holding a lot of emotions in your body. I know that's kind of a new concept for some of us, but you're holding emotions that your brain isn't even conscious of. Um, Similar with the feelings and with the tension and with the interconnectedness of the nervous system below consciousness. You have so much going on. And the top of the brain usually isn't even conscious of it. So when we or it's re-
2: willfully filtering it out, Absolutely. like it doesn't want to attend to yeah. it, and pay attention to it. And
1: if anyone has ever said to you, "Like you seem really tense right now," and that moment of realizing, mm-hmm. "Oh, I am tense. I didn't mm-hmm. even realize I was. How long <laughs> have I been tense?" You know, <laughs> like that experience is exactly what I'm talking about when I say the bottom half representative has so much going on. Right. So when we do a bottom, when we move to the bottom up side of the spectrum, these therapists are trained to essentially they know that the body has so much going on and that the top isn't really conscious of it. And in experiences of trauma, the top is actually kept out of it. So the bottom-up approaches are really crucial um, in that they rely on the resources of the biggest part of our uh, being, which is the bottom half of our, of our brain um, and says, what wisdom do you have? And how can we key into that to really start getting the top back online and to get it ready to integrate into a top and bottom together as one whole?
2: Roger, I think you said something really important that I want to kind of expound on, that idea that the top of our brain actually gets left out of trauma experiences. <laughs> yeah. I want to unpack that a little bit because I think that's so relevant to understanding and having self-compassion about why people mm-hmm. respond to trauma the way that we do. Yeah. So if you remember me saying that the prefrontal cortex is really, really slow and the rest of our nervous system is lightning fast, this is why it is imperative that we respond to trauma from the bottom portion of our With nervous Without the prefrontal cortex. Right. Yeah. So for instance, you're walking down a path and about two feet in front of you, out of the corner of your eye, you see something that looks like a snake. Okay. If your prefrontal cortex had to handle that moment alone, alone yeah. and did not have the rest of your system, um, you would have a totally different experience of that moment. Okay, what would happen is that you would have to look down and analyze the patterns and determine like, is that a snake or is it a stick? Yeah. Right? And probably get
1: really close to it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um
2: and so if it's a snake, by then you've been bitten and now you're in trouble. Okay. So our our system did this really smart thing that said, Well never mind that. That seems like a bad idea because I would be dead already. Instead, (laughs) Instead, what I'm gonna do is have this lightning fast response that says, Snake and I'm gonna jump immediately. I am going to move away from that potential threat without stopping to figure out, is it a real threat or is it just a stick that looks mm -hmm. like a snake, right? And so we've all had this moment where like you jump, your startle response moves your body away from that potential threat for you without you ever having a thought about it. It is automatic, thank goodness, right? And then once we have already moved out of the way, our prefrontal cortex, the slow part, comes back online and says, oh, oh, no, 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 that's just a stick that's kind of curvy. Mm -hmm. And then I feel a little bit silly, (laughs) and I go on with my day, right? So that is a really uh, basic example, but that exact same process happens all the time to any perceived threat in our environment. Yeah. Our body is going to move lightning fast to respond to whatever we perceive as a threat. And then our prefrontal cortex kicks in and tries to make sense of what just happened. Yes, And this is why we have a lot of the kinds of symptoms that we do when we have trauma in our history. That's right.
1: Yeah, and I like, that's why I like doing the analogy of the top and bottom each have a representative. Because the top thinks that it's in control, that it runs the show, mm-hmm. that it's the, the CEO, and so it bosses around the bottom half of here's what you should do and how to feel, and the bottom up just kind of says, oh, okay.
2: That's I'm nice, but I actually, keep you alive.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually in control. I'll let you yeah. think that you are.
2: Yeah, you'd be dead without me. Yeah, waiting.
1: because I'm way too busy. Yeah. yeah, but in those moments, I will unplug you yeah. so that I can
2: do what I react,
1: do. and then I'll plug you back in so that you can actually start to try to make sense of it, and we can tell people a story of what happened to mm-hmm. us. Um, but in in trauma, that's a great point is that. Sometimes we don't really know what happened. Um, and this, you know, I can just imagine the light bulbs kind of clicking here because if something did happen to you, if you, if you do come from a story of trauma, you might have problems with memory.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you might have problems with understanding why you react a certain way. Right. Um, and that is, all of that information is kept in that experience of the bottom unplugging the prefrontal cortex, the top, so that it can react. And it's very important because it kept you alive.
2: And what's also important is to remember that all of those experiences are still stored in your body's memory. Yes, that's exactly right. Right? So even though I don't have explicit storytelling memory of what happened, my body remembers the whole experience. It's not lost. No, and so I continue to react to that throughout my lifetime, even if I either don't really remember what happened, or I have told myself a story to try to make sense of this, and I keep telling myself, it shouldn't bother me, it shouldn't bother me. Why does it keep bothering me?
1: It really bothers me. Yeah, yeah, because
2: your body isn't buying the story that your prefrontal cortex is trying to sell it. That's, right? yes, Right. beautiful way to say it. And so the bottom-up approach is saying, okay, thank you for trying PFC, prefrontal <laughs> cortex. Like, you, you've had your chance, yeah. and this story is not working, right? Yeah. It's not resolving anything for me anymore. So these kinds of therapies come to the body, come to the rest of the nervous system, and invite it to have a different experience, because the body cares about what it's feeling, right? It doesn't care about our logic nearly as much and so in these therapies that's why we're so focused on what are you physically feeling right now right here in this moment yeah. and helping to reshape those experiences agree
3: with if we look at all of that and bring it into what does a therapy session look like are these different approaches look like with that the side of behavioral change we're looking at talking to the executive of the top half we're looking at we're inviting that executive to come into the room And we're gonna sit down and have conversations, and we're gonna teach that part of your brain skills and strategies and talk to that part. On the more experiential side, we're actually inviting the executive from the lower half to come in, and we're gonna interact and be present with that part. When we're looking at a trauma experience, if we're approaching it from a top down and you've experienced trauma, and that lower half unplugged the top half. And now in therapy, we're saying, okay, now I'm going to sit down with the top half and we're going to talk about this. Yeah, it no doesn't connect. Yeah, yeah it, it. we don't get to, it doesn't just doesn't connect. We can have this conversation with the part that really wasn't present, wasn't involved, didn't have a big role in that. And so the effects and the chains don't really translate into the body. We don't start to feel that deeper level shifts and change and relief that we're really looking for.
1: Yeah, I almost imagine it as, you know, if you um, go on vacation and someone asks uh, if they can borrow something from your house, you're going to think, well, I'm not home right now. That's the exact experience that the top half has when uh, someone asks them to describe what happened in a traumatic experience. It's just like, whoa. I wasn't
3: there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really know. Or so we make up also... a story to make yeah, sense never... of it. We fill it in, and usually, yeah. because we're egocentric beings, that story we put in involves our own responsibility or issues it's or problems. A lot of times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we yeah. we try to put in a story there. Our top half tries to fill in the gaps, yeah. um, and and usually it's fairly inaccurate. Yes,
1: and unhelpful as it kind of perpetuates or continues that pattern yeah. of dysregulation.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think um, one point to make sort of in conclusion is that we're not talking about either or here. You, you know, it's not about experiential or uh, behavioral. Uh, a Beautiful therapy has both.
2: Right.
1: And that's, so we're not advocating for one or the other, though I'm sure if you were to ask either of us, we might have strong opinions <laughs> Um, I think that ultimately what we're saying in this conversation is that depending on what's walking into the room and what sense you're making of that, both are absolutely needed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we don't ever want people to just come into a room, we have an experiential session and then they just have to leave. Like, I don't know why it was good, but it was good. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not what we're saying. We're going to help um,
2: integrate that experience so that it can create behavioral change and the hope is that the change comes spontaneously yes and the the bottom up approach is really capitalizing on if we if we do that deep down work then you get to reclaim the energy that you're using to manage this every day and now yeah. put it towards other things in your life that frankly you're going to enjoy a whole lot more than managing your anxiety all day long every day um, oh,
1: my gosh, yes. <laughs> you will not realize I, how much energy you've been devoting to exactly, it. Yeah.
2: Exactly, exactly. And, and personally, that was the experience that, that I had. It's like, oh, well, no, I don't have to you know, have a migraine every other day and sleep 14 hours a day in order to yeah. just manage my life. I got real productive. Lots after, of energy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I wanted to start doing things that I hadn't been able to do, and it wasn't out of effort. It wasn't it was me flow. forcing yeah. myself. It was that I had... Reconnected with that source of energy that I had previously had to use to just manage, and I was managing pretty well. I, I didn't have, you know, extraordinary consequences in my life, but it was very depleting. Um, and which means that the walls kind of start closing in. Like even if, you know, even if our life isn't crumbling around us and everyone's mad at us all the time, sometimes it just doesn't feel like we can engage with life the way we really want to because I have to use my energy to just be okay, yeah. getting up every morning. You know, it used to take me 20 minutes of like self-talk to even face the day. And now I bounce out of bed and, you know, that doesn't have to occur at all. And I didn't have to convince myself of that. It was a spontaneous change that happened after that bottom-up work occurred, um, but I will say that there was, you know, about a year of my process where I had to do it top down in order to really feel safe doing that bottom-up work. Mm-hmm. And so everything has its place. And as you're kind of tracking your own journey, we, we just want to help you understand what you're experiencing, why your therapist may choose to do what they do, and help you make sense of your own experience. I
1: think that's a
2: great way to end. Yep, I do too. <laughs> yeah. Perfect.
3: Melissa, do you want to talk about the Patreon that we have to offer?
2: Yeah, yeah. So if you guys want to connect with us more, um, one way that we're doing that is through Patreon. So if you go to slash beyond trauma podcast, um, you can sign up for uh, We have several different tiers with different options on there, but this is really a place for us to connect more. We're also going to put a lot of resources on there. We have a whole other secret podcast, which is really fun. Very like exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's called Mind as a Therapist. And uh, we just have lots of really interesting conversations about things that therapists think about, which is a lot of different things. Yes. So it's, it's a wide-ranging podcast, but you'll get access to that um, on certain tiers. But then also just some um, skills for you guys to have, some resources, some audio recordings of different things that we do with our clients that we find really helpful Um, We do have worksheets for those of you that are into that. So there's just a lot of options. And so go to Patreon and check out what's there.
3: Another resource that we have we want to mention to you guys is we have just created something called a mental health first aid kit. So if you're listening to this and you are already in therapy or maybe you haven't started therapy yet and you're looking for um, additional resources and tools to support you in this difficult time that we're all in, Um, we just encourage you to check out our mental health first aid kit it starts with a daily checklist that kind of walks you through how to pause your life check in with yourself and balance all of your needs in that time Um, it has 15 scripted exercises audio guides that are created by licensed therapists to walk you through those exercises it's a phenomenal package that we've put together and you can find that on our website at beyondhealingcenter.com if you click on trainings that will be there and just you can select that Um, so we hope that you enjoy that encourage you to check it out it could be a great supportive tool for you we thank you guys for listening in and being a part of this podcast with us and we look forward to chatting with you again soon so thanks for listening today and safe journeys
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Trauma, a psychotherapy podcast from therapists for clients about the journey of trauma recovery. While resources like this can be helpful, they should never take the place of or be used as therapy. We encourage you to find a trauma-informed therapist in your area to be your guide in this healing journey. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and we would appreciate it if you could leave us a review. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at beyondtraumapodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in.